Oh, wait, wait, this is wrong. Look, I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot, that's all. Wait! to prove that arty and trashy movies have a lot in common and you don't need to enjoy just one or the other, so we will take our movie of the week and pair it with something artier or trashier and hope that you discover an unexpected new favorite or at the very least are entertained. I am one of your hosts, Nick, and with me as always is the bullshit detector to the writer whose favorite color is blue. She's the mouth to my madness. Erin is here. Hi, Erin. Hello. The mouth sounds like a noir detective nickname. Well, it'd be a gangster, yeah. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. He's a stool pigeon or something. Yeah. <laughs> Ricky the mouth. Yeah. yeah. And his partner, the madness. He, he kind of flies off the handle and beats you up. <laughs> it's good cop, bad cop, but they're not cops. Yeah. That we're- isn't the movie we're talking about today. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> we're here to continue Carp Winter. John Carp Winter continues. <laughs> <laughs> like that Just, it gets harder to say every time. Yes, it does. No, That's it's good. With me trying to enunciate. <laughs> this is one of the less tortured noms de plume yeah. you've come up with for our little I just turned my jaunts. head to you and said, hey, how about Carpwinter? Yep. And you were on board immediately. And there you go. I don't need to hear anything else. <laughs> yep. It's the tag. I don't know. I put on sunscreen for the first time this year. Just yesterday, February yep. 10th. So really feels like we're... You know, Carpenter is coming to an end, whether we like it or not. The thaw is coming. Huh. Carpenter is... Oh, no, that's bad when it happens in The Thing. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God. Go back and listen to our episode on The Thing, where we started <laughs> Carpenter. And uh, today we're finishing what we started there. It's the Apocalypse Trilogy's little capper. The <laughs> I feel like the Apocalypse Trilogy has this thing where like everybody's seen The Thing, and then the other two are just like... Also there. <laughs> also there. And people aren't, they're not the well-known as much Carpenters, but I... No, but this one I feel like is also, it's back up there on people's lists. Some yeah. people are like, I don't really get Prince of Darkness, and, and everyone who's seen this one likes this one. Yeah, I'm definitely the weirdo that likes Prince of Darkness more, but you like In the Mouth of Madness more, I know. Yes. Oh, uh, our movie of the week's In the <gasps> Mouth of Madness. <laughs> there it is, folks. That was me realizing in real time that we hadn't set the name of the movie. <laughs> The riots began because the stores could not meet the demand of Sutter Kane's novel, In the Mouth of Madness. Kane disappeared two months ago without a trace. I need to know if he's alive or dead, and I need that book. It's a setup. It's a setup. I just have to work out how it's set up. Kane's writing has been known to have an effect on his readers. I know what I am. Read it if you don't believe me. See what I have in store for you. I know this book will drive people crazy. Well, let's hope so. The movie comes out next month. In the Mouth of Madness from 1994, the year after Jurassic Park. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. That'll come up later. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I think I have some idea as to why. Fair uh, enough. In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I think, the one 
Carpenter 90s entry that every Carpenter fan can defend easily. Yeah, sure. Not so easy with the rest of his... No. (laughs) Um, I'm less familiar with the later offerings, for sure. Yeah, I've kind of shied away just because of reputation type stuff. But this is the one that everyone's like, he's back, baby. Mm. He just came off Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, goes Prince of Darkness, They Live, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. This guy. A real like mountain range of a of rating system here. That's very strange. Yeah, very funny. So in the mouth of madness, let's read from the back of this Blu-ray. Uh, Shake it. Nice. <laughs> some quality foley work I'm doing there. <laughs> the wind passing past the microphone as I shake a Blu-ray cover. <laughs> you all know. Sutter Kane is the best-selling author whose newest novel is literally driving readers insane. Just dropping it right there. Oh, okay, great. When he inexplicably vanishes, his publisher sends special investigator John Trent to track him down. Drawn to a town that exists only in Kane's books, Trent crosses the barrier between fiction and fact and enters a terrifying world from which there is no escape. Dun-dun-dun. Inspired by the tales of H.P. Lovecraft, this shocking story is, in the words of its acclaimed director, quote, horror beyond description, end quote. (laughs) Yeah, but he has to say that. Yeah, it kind of goes with the territory. John Carpenter, he's back again. (laughs) We love him, folks. But his, uh, this is like an assignment kind of thing. He gets like picked up and offered it. Quote, I hadn't seen a really good H.P. Lovecraft movie. I just hadn't seen one. And that's the reason, more or less the reason he wanted to do it. Because, uh... Yeah, there's not many good ones. <laughs> I think it, it it's so hard to... Tr- it, literally, the thing about the Lovecraft horror is that it's unknowable and untranslatable. So yeah. you're like, but what if it was this specific guy? You're like, no, that's not... <laughs> it's like... <an laughs> immediately inher- losing the plot. Inherently uncinematic idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't show what the thing is, which yeah. is fine. You have lots of ways to creatively do that. But there also always have true. to be like got a hint in it. Yeah, yeah, you have to say what it is at some point, in yeah. some form. Uh, and speaking of saying what it is, the person who said what it is is the writer, Michael DeLuca. <laughs> this, the segues today. <laughs> this podcast is meant to drive you insane. That's kind of the idea. We're going very meta with it. So, Michael DeLuca, do you recognize that name? No. Nope. That was a real, like, it comes up in the credits and like... Why do I know that name? And then he also pops up as the executive director or oh, executive sure, uh, sure. producer. Yeah. Uh, like, oh, that's weird. So he wrote this movie when he was 22 in the 80s. Uh, later becomes an executive at New Line Cinema. This is through, and right. he greenlights it. So he's the writer. <laughs> <and> yeah. <laughs> Seems not allowed, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he wasn't a super prolific writer, uh, but he was the, one of the original writers for Star Trek Voyager. Um, oh, a few yeah. other things, but he's mainly known as a big time producer. He's the guy who like produced Seven when nobody else wanted to. He's oh. credited mostly with the discovery of Paul Thomas Anderson and putting his movies out and such. Nice. He's also famous for getting a blowjob in public at an Oscars party in 1998. <laughs> oh, oh my God! Okay. Uh, he they're literally right. like at an after party. He walks in. They're all hanging out in like the big common spaces, and he just drops trow and. What? Yep. And okay. everyone just kind of leaves the room because they don't know what to do. The host kicks him out. Uh, he gets yeah. fired from New Line. Oh my god. The host is like on record as saying he burned the chair because he's like, I can't, with the knowledge uh. of what happened, 
I can't keep huh? this chair. So bold. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then he becomes an independent producer and produces things like The Social Network, Moneyball, Fifty Shades of Grey, like big ass movies. And yeah. now he's the CEO of Warner Brothers. All righty then. Just failing up, up, up. <laughs> I guess not failing. I guess, yeah, yeah. there's... I don't know that you can necessarily assign a moral value to getting a blowjob. <laughs> In public is not good. It's one of these things like, if it's at a blowjob party, great, yeah, sure. fine. You're not <laughs> at a blowjob party, that, though, yeah. buddy. <laughs> Did you think you were as part of this? I think he okay. thought he, I think he was like a really young hotshot, so I think that it was a like persona type thing. Did you also, wait, this was in the 90s? Yes, this okay, was like Okay, yeah, see, this is past the, like, cocaine peak of the 80s, where <laughs> yes. I would kind of understand. Yeah, okay. But he, like, he gets hired as, like, an executive when he's, you know, 24 or something like that. That's not good. Like, you the youngest one that. ever type yeah. of deal. Yeah. And he's, the, his produ- producer credits are insane when you look at them. Um, so it is a bit of, like, uh, I Hollywood's golden boy. Anything, yeah. yeah. So. Okay. But huh. uh, the, he did get fired for it, so I, I mean, mean, it's something. And there was a chair casualty, so, yep. you know, yes. consequences of Torch his actions. Torch that fucker. <laughs> so dramatic. So I, I just wanted it. to let you know uh, the pen from which these Where we're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> Unspeakable horrors! <laughs> Not to be depicted on screen. <laughs> We've learned what we can and can't show, folks. <laughs> uh, but before we turn to uh, the actual movie, let's talk about the cast of the movie. Please. Because Sam Neill is here. Yay, Sam, Sam Neill. This is the year after Jurassic Park. This is the next oh, movie he I... does after Jurassic Park. <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Yeah, what did right. you think I meant when I said <laughs> I thought you meant, like, the creature effects oh, or something. Oh, sure, yes, You know, okay, yeah. in that way that, like, all action comes from the Matrix, which comes from, mm. like, Young Wu-Ping. I, I, I thought you meant, like, all creature effects come yeah. from the Matrix. <laughs> You understand yes. what I'm saying. Come from Jurassic Park. But I forgot but, Sam Neill is in both of them. Yes, he is. But I kind of do forgive you for not thinking of that because he is so different. He is such yeah. an I love Sam Neill. Whenever oh, he pops great. up in anything, you're like, oh, he's going to be the best part of this movie. Yeah. Yeah, he's got he's got range. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know he was Kiwi. For, you know, Jurassic Park I grew up with, and then I was like, wait, this guy's not American? Like, the first time that that happened to me, I it was like, just, like, mind-blown. Yeah, a lot of people in our generation, it's, that's the first one you experience. You're like, yeah. but he sounds like that. You can just change your voice? What the hell? <laughs> this acting? And in this movie, he makes absolutely zero attempt to yeah. hide the accent. There's it's so many themes happening. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's very funny, because he kind of comes across as a tough guy with the least... Like, one of the yeah. least tough guy accents that you can have. Yeah. <laughs> which is great. You're not intimidating anyone with a Kiwi accent, but... But Sam Neill loves playing bad guys. That's, like, his favorite. He loves playing, like, a he's villainous good at it. guy. And I think it works great in this because he's just an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he's meant to be. I think... I'm sure we'll get into this, but the mm. conceit of the story that he finds himself in, you yeah. know, by the end, is that he's meant to be, like, cocky, and he's kind of written like this. He's an Sutter Kane is writing him like this, like, noir detective. Yeah. He even has, like, there's a, you know, midday with the curtains drawn, like, sweaty office interrogation of a suspect. Yeah, like, house, and he's, he's pacing introduced. back and forth. Yeah. He does the Columbo thing of, like, hey, one piece of advice. Like, you know. <laughs> so, yes, I think the 
the the layer of it that you're meant to start with is that he's kind of a tough guy or he's like a take no bullshit you know character. yeah which is great because <laughs> if you're watching this for the first time it can i and i know this experience because it was me it feels alienating at first where you're like what is this Why like one dimensional like yeah <laughs> transported from the 40s ass guy over yeah here. like it's, a little gross and sexist, like yeah. very, very high on his own supply of like, I'm so smart and nothing can get past me. And yeah, <laughs> I want to share two quotes from Sam Neill on the, about this movie that I Ooh. think you'll really agree with both of quote. Most films are a half hour too long. At least <laughs> Sam Neill, please marry me immediately <laughs> with your big bushy beard yeah. and vineyard, <laughs> your wild Kiwi man situation you've yeah. got going on. But he cites this and event horizon is the two, exceptions to the rule in any movie he's been in. Nice. <laughs> he's just like, those are the right length. Everything else is done. He talks about like <laughs> this and Event Horizon as they could have been longer and I would have still liked it. Like that's, yeah, yeah, he's going yeah. the other way on it. So, mm-hmm. And on working with Carpenter, so Sam Neill's in Memoirs of an Invisible Man. So oh, I see. So they become big friends immediately. They like each other's energies a lot, which I think is cute. That makes me like John Carpenter even more. Yeah, like, it no, feels like yeah. you can trust him Yeah, more. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, God, but, please never prove us wrong, <laughs> either of you. He's just going to play Sonic the Hedgehog forever. He's cool. <laughs> um, I thought you meant he was going to voice Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> and I was like, I have missed a lot of entertainment news. <laughs> John Carpenter is Sonic the Hedgehog. The Master of Horror is back. And faster and he's than he fast. <laughs> Anyway. Anyway. What does Samuel, Samuel think about John, John Carpenter. Carpenter? Quote, the thing about John is he only eats diner breakfast food three times a day. He likes bacon and eggs and pancakes. That's it. End quote. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but people asking him about that's like, so, so John Carpenter is like this unique voice. And that's his answer. Just like, yeah, he's clearly different because this is what he eats. <laughs> He's uh, he's a guy. Yep. He's definitely a type of guy. <laughs> but yeah, Sam Neill That's is awesome. great in this. I want to say like he's like not a handsome guy, but he's a very like something he's a about good his, looking guy. His he, energy yeah. makes him extra handsome. Yes, though. yeah. I mean, in this, he's supposed to be very con, like very self confident yeah. and very cocky, and yeah. But yeah, I, think, I know what you mean. I think you come away with it like, oh, this fucking guy, but God, he's so attractive. Oh, shit. <laughs> he's also, and this is, I feel like, common across his movies, maybe even Jurassic Park, he's got mm. that energy of, like, this guy could go feral at any moment. He's just, like, not quite right. <laughs> and I think that that's yeah. purely, I think none of that's ever on the page with him. Like, you think yeah. about Jurassic Park, his arc being, he goes yeah. from I hate children to... These ones are okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> My mind has not changed, but... Yeah, and we'll talk more about the arc in this one. But it is very much rooted in this character is is just... He is a piece of... Not a piece of shit, but just like... <laughs> he just does not give a shit. He's kind yeah. of detached. Well, he, no, he's got no connections to anyone yeah. or anything, right? Like, he lives in this... Again, I think it is a little bit of a meta layer where mm. his apartment... There's nothing on the wall that yeah, doesn't so appear bare. to be any, yeah, yeah, which is, you know, the you could read it as the writer of the book that this character is in, unbeknownst to him, <laughs> didn't bother describing the walls. Yeah, there's <laughs> or, a couple shots that are really close up on Sam Neill reading mm-hmm. that is just in a black void. Yeah. Like, there's nothing <laughs> behind, he's supposed to be in his apartment, but it feels yes. like... He's supposed to be just sitting on his couch, but he's in a void, <laughs> which is a very, like, writerly way of describing it. Like, everything else fell away, and he yeah. was reading this book, and you know what I mean? <laughs> All the clues were there! Yes, yeah, Sam Neill, 
Uh, MVP. Yes, for sure. absolutely. And a person we don't see very often is Julie Carmen as Styles. Yeah, we really don't. What else would she have been in? Uh, not much. We, you and I, I know, have not seen her really in anything. But yeah. there's a very good reason why. She's one of our best known more for her other career than this. Oh. While she was in this movie, I think she was doing her doctorate. Oh, goddamn. She's a licensed and practicing psychotherapist, marriage family therapist, and yoga therapist. Amazing. All right. Uh, Her best known work is for running therapy programs in rehab centers, eating disorder centers, and running uh, programs for pregnant teens. Aw, Julie. Yeah. Dr. Carmen. I think as of the time of this episode, she is one of the directors of mental health at Loyola Marymount University. Dope. Which is just like... Cool. That's <laughs> of rad. Of course, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty rad. I'm going to be in the movie where the guy goes crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Let's let's prevent this. <laughs> and That's I awesome. was, I can't remember whose review I was reading, but somebody talking about, like, it makes sense when you know she's, like, a yoga teacher and, like, physical therapist in that way. Sure. Where you watch the first half of this, half of this movie and she's very, like, tightly wound and, yeah. like on purpose angry all the time yeah very and, intense and then when she gets monstered up she's all loose and yeah 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 there's a real switch between like anxious and then terrified for a br- very brief moment mm-hmm. and then monster yeah and she's very like she's literally falling over stuff and i don't think that's her getting out of the car in one of her final scenes there you no know it's the a one contortionist I mean, but, right uh, who I but, know, but you know it's it's that kind of body language yeah, yeah. that's funny you're just full of tentacles instead of <laughs> skeletons yeah uh jürgen prock now is here who, oh, love him he's uh best known for das boot and uh, david lynch's dune but he's he is sutter kane in my mind nothing mm. that's like he's yeah. You got those actors that are just that character. He is that yes. character for me forever. I wonder if it is always like the person you're introduced, like the role you're introduced to them in is yeah. the one forever. But it, 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 Sam Neill, it has, it doesn't work that way anymore for me. So yeah, yeah I know because he was the Jurassic Park guy. But now in my mind, my first thought is always Event Horizon. I know, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Where he's I'm, gross. I'm glad he's fine with that movie, so that it's not as weird that I'm like mm, the Event Horizon guy. <laughs> The guy with no eyes. <laughs> We're yeah, we talk about Event Horizon a lot on this. We podcast. do. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, and also not at all sorry. Uh, and we've also got Charlton Heston is here as Jackson Harlow. <laughs> I have to believe that he came up with the name himself. So funny. <laughs> um, and he looks like he would be named Jackson Harlow. Jackson, especially. Yeah, you yeah. can look at him and be like, "Damn it, Jackson!" Jackson. Distribution has failed. I don't know how <laughs> publishing works. Uh, uh, and then you got like a bunch of guys. You got you got David Warner, who's one of our best. I feel like he's just employed really well whenever he's employed in things. He's in super shitty movies, and then he pops up in great movies for like a couple scenes. You're like, David Warner, you're all right, buddy. You got John Glover being a goddamn weirdo, <laughs> a bow tied little freak. <laughs> Peter Jason in one scene because uh, he's Carpenter's buddy. Because you gotta, yeah. But he plays a very good sweaty uh, <laughs> fraudster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Bernie Casey, who's uh, Samuel's boss in this, he is. Uh, I didn't. Know, I just want to let you know. He's like an NFL player. That's what he's. <laughs> oh, really? Famous for. Okay. Uh, he played in the NFL for eight years. All right. Uh, before moving to acting, and he sometimes like plays himself as retired NFL player Bernie Casey. Yeah, is, nice. Uh, but his inclusion, like all these guys, there's a thing about all of Carpenter's movies where all of his actors are so beaten up and craggly. Like Kurt Russell's the one exception. Yeah. He's 
maybe a pretty man yeah but everybody else is just like beat to shit like they all they've all got whatever we talk about like uh the when people used to have interesting faces in movies yeah when it wasn't required that all your teeth were straight yeah. that level of yeah and i'm sure it's due to like budgetary constraints but like bernie casey is like but I found out he was an NFL guy. Like, oh, that makes sense. He's very tall, and his face looks like weathered. That's a guy yeah. who has lived. <laughs> who has had his nose broken. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And finally, introducing Hayden Christensen. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yes. His first screen appearance. Oh, is it? Yep. Yeah. Little baby. Yep. You can't even, you don't even recognize his voice. Like, his voice hasn't changed. He's that young. His, you can, like, kind of see it with the angle of his face sometimes, but, like, he's got sandy blonde hair. His hair hasn't even darkened yeah, yet. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, I, I, I wouldn't have known. Mm. I did not recognize him, even knowing he was in the movie. One hint to his future, though, is that you can see in his mailbag in one scene is just full of lightsabers. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> They're spilling out. John Carpenter got sued yeah. for this. You I don't know. You hear a lightsaber um... noise in the background. And Duel of the Fate starts yeah, playing when he rides up. Your, you missed all this? You were doing it with your face. <laughs> oh, it was me doing yeah, that? Yeah, you were doing <laughs> that. Yeah, actually. No, that's why it didn't sound. Sitting in the back. <laughs> <laughs> you were asked in, to leave the theater. He's not even in that Star Wars movie. <laughs> Um, oh my god moving right along I just yes. want to mention we got cinematography by Gary Kibbe is back he was in Prince of Darkness sweet but I always feel bad for him because he feels really beeline Carpenter yeah. cinematographers because like I miss Dean Cundey Dean Cundey is such I know not every movie can be shot by Dean Cundey though, yeah. so it's okay I mean, I feel like the, you know, Prince of Darkness and, and Mouth of Madness are of a piece with each other. Yeah. It's, there's a lot of, you have to shoot darkness a lot. And like, yeah. Dean Cundey did do that very well with the thing. But there's there's just a lot of oppressiveness in both movies. Mm. And I, I feel like they're shot well. Oh, yeah. I feel like they're shot well. It's one of those things that like, but it's not the thing I like. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's got that like, oh. The, it's not my perfect When thing. I think of Carpenter, it looks a certain way. And it's yeah. Dean Cundey Carpenter and... It's not this. That's Fair. kind of the, yeah. Fair. And then music by John Carpenter and Jim Lang. Jim Lang I'm not super familiar with, but he wrote the music to Hey Arnold. That's his big Yeah, <laughs> Sweet. Thing. All right. They wanted to use Enter Sandman, but couldn't afford it, so they wrote the opening. Uh... Oh, <laughs> would you like to see the very first note I took? Yes, I would. Great Metallica style <laughs> opening track. <laughs> <laughs> right. It worked. Right, Royalty right, free, right. baby. <laughs> different enough that you're like i don't think we can get sued for this yep. let's see what happens it worked <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that guitarist is dave davies of the kinks playing all of those rocking rock and roll licks rocking riffs <laughs> nice but to your point it is the most metal that any printing industry montage has ever been <laughs> yeah i'm used to a very like gershwin-y you know <laughs> action in the city like montage of printing presses this is not that yeah so let's get the big the big thing out of the way. Meta narrative. Sure. Super meta narrative. Not even within the movie, but the layer of John Carpenter, the horror writer, making this movie. It's very hard to talk about this movie in, without getting that out of the way. Yeah. Like, yes. from the first shot of like, oh, here's John Carpenter, the horror master, making an opening montage of, like, literally... A mass producing horror exactly yeah. for horror the masses media. Yeah. that threw out Sam Neill is saying it's trash like <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, a lot of the, well, you know, go listen to our episode on the thing. But John, John Carpenter has a long and storied bad relationship with, like, the like the reception to his movies and yeah. the press and the, you know. Even going back the to whims Halloween. Of, uh, sure, yeah. sure, yeah. Pornographer of violence and yeah. all these, like, stupid fucking, <laughs> like... There are so, yeah, there are so many layers of meta narrative to it where it's like, fine, if you, I'm just going to write a good hack horror story. <laughs> He's just like, fine, I'm I'm just going to, well, like, I hadn't seen a good Lovecraft, so I'm going to write the one I want to see. Yeah, like, writing, like, turning it the bad horror. Like, I know that he loved the idea of doing the Sutter Kane horror writer guy. Yeah. He was like, oh, I can just pile in whatever trope I want because this isn't like a one-to-one of anybody. Yeah. This is just like air par- air- airport fiction horror guy. Yes, yeah. I Mass just, consumable. Yeah, I can just pu- pull every trope I want to tease or actually use and all that. Yeah. Which is a ton of fun. But like that, the core idea of, oh, when he's writing down is coming true is like that's what all these critics are like oh violent movies are gonna yeah coming out of the 80s where you know i'm sorry to get into it so early in the episode but reaganomics we're gonna be holding back not talking about it this whole time we gotta just like oh god yes blow it up off the top policy decisions resulting in you know to sheltered people scary societal implications in yeah. the 80s and deciding to just look at the closest thing that makes them uncomfortable and be like homeless people and video games yeah. or whatever you know what i mean two things that john Carpenter actually likes yeah. and spends time with <laughs> actually sees us like the Legit. human experience yeah, yeah. um <laughs> That level of what was my point with this? Uh, um, Reaganomics is where he started out. Yeah. Which <laughs> Sorry, is, my brain just started out. Yeah. Um, yeah, to to come out of the eighties and have this be like this society is going to shit because of violent you know stories or whatever, and then to be like, okay, who's buying the stories? You all are. <laughs> and this here's what is it would actually you wanting look like them. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I do love to. I told you I wasn't going to say this on mic, but we're we're kind of falling into it anyway. When this movie comes out, he's doing his press tours and uh, Carpenter is, yeah. and somebody's talking about like, oh, your previous movies were super political. While Reagan was in, you clearly don't like him, right. but like this doesn't have those political overtones. Is it because there's like a liberal in office now, and this is while Bill Clinton is president? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And his response was just like. I don't know. He seems just as conservative as the last guy. <laughs> I don't feel any better right now. What did do, you see? You? Yeah. Do, you, do you see any People change? are still scared. Change. No change has happened. Have you seen any change? It's like, the, if you think this isn't a political film, then you got to get your head checked. <laughs> like, it was a real <laughs> Yeah, buddy. this is literally about the collapse of society because people love to be scared. Like, yeah. there's a lot love going on. Up, like, love to the... make up stories that then influence reality around them and, one of and the become first true. things you see is a cop beating a, a black man. This <laughs> like, is the thing. The is fuck? like, one of the first actual people you see turning into a monster, which is the premise of this, this book, is that, like, you know, the old ones live in this town and they're yeah. they're turning everybody into monsters from... You know, Yo, ground zero yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, the first person you see turning into a monster is a cop. Yeah, that's not subtle. <laughs> no, is everyone? What, so it's very. It's it's good to know that we never had media literacy. Mm, never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> good, great. Uh, president plays saxophone now. No problems. Nothing's no, art isn't political anymore. <laughs> Fixed. <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, so I just wanted to get that meta-narrativeness out of the way because yeah. we'll keep talking about it, I'm sure, as we go through. But let's talk about John Trent as a character because yeah. 
We've already hinted at it, but boy, is he an interesting construction. Yes, he's <laughs> like, he's an interesting character, capital C. Yeah, to go back a little bit, this isn't my favorite Carpenter by any means. I love every Carpenter that I've seen. Um, They're all your favorite children. They are. But he is one of my favorite Carpenter characters. Yes. He is just so, he starts from, his like full arc is so great of, you're starting out with, a 40s detective who has, like, he can smell bullshit from around the corner yeah. like, type of... Uh, he doesn't trust nobody. Yeah. He can tell when you're lying just from the beats of sweat on your forehead. Yeah. <laughs> if you're as sweaty as Peter Jason. Jesus. Well, yeah. Um, but I love how it's even structured like this noir thing of we get uh, his first line, sorry about the balls, it was a lucky shot. Amazing <laughs> first line for a protagonist. But then it's structured in, in the old noir flashback thing of we know this character at the end where he's become a That's hinge. true. Then we meet him at the beginning where he's like this tight-laced, he can figure it all out, he knows reality. Whip smart, blah, blah. But like taking the journey to be this ultimate bullshitter and then let's uh, turn his brain inside out convincingly <laughs> yeah. is so great. I love it. I had not thought of that that construction of it. I forget that. A lot, like this movie is his flashback. Yeah, yeah. I like the thing that I, I have a quote here for uh, Carpenter on the structured quote. That's one thing that initially attracted me to the script. It's classic structure. It begins in an insane asylum with, with patient John Trent saying, "You won't believe me," but and then he tells the story. The film is about the notion of horror itself. You have a writer who's producing basically generic horror stories so we could throw everything in there. Yeah. <laughs> so this is his way of like, I just wanted to set up all the, it gave me a great way to set up, here's the intense horror and then reground everything and sure. explode the horror out again. Let it grow from there, yeah. Yeah, and like we've talked about on each of these Carpenter things, uh, John Carpenter loves his old Hollywood, he loves Howard Hawks, he loves old noir stories. So this is like, the Makes only sense. old genre he didn't really get to do, he never got to do his Western. He always wanted to do a Western. Yeah. <laughs> but this is his noir movie, which is so funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> Makes total sense. He loves monsters. 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 Yes. Well, it, yeah, it's such a good hook. You yeah. get this, you know, this guy's dragged into an asylum kicking and screaming, and he's yelling, I'm not insane. And everyone else in the block with him is like, me neither. It's very <laughs> funny. But then he he's so rational, and mm. like the guy that comes to interview him is like, I, don't, I, I think you're bullshitting. And yeah. so he has to like... You see him try to make this person believe him. Yeah, because he starts out with like, oh, you're here about my them. Yeah, yeah. When you want to hear about my them, which yeah. is really where the Kiwi accent comes. <laughs> yeah. Um, my B. I do love before that, when you know the full scope of the story, there's a shadow in his cell that yeah. he talks to and he says like, I can't remember the exact It's a rotten way to end it. Yeah, <laughs> just still critiquing him like, you're still a shitty writer. <laughs> That's a really creepy yeah. bit. He thinks he sees someone go by outside the cell, and then a shadow passes by very slowly behind him in his yeah. cell. So great. Ah. Uh, and I just want to talk about the two amazing taglines for this movie are so great. Live any good books lately? <laughs> or reality isn't what it used to be. It's also great. That's a very noir tagline. Yes, and that it's one. John Carpenter's favorite line in this yeah. movie. <laughs> I am not surprised. But I do love that we start out, like, the, the way that the flashback allows us to be like, oh, Apocalypse has already started. Like, it's it's already here. Stuff is going wrong, yeah. yeah. We're in the middle of it right now. It's not sure. resolved either direction, but, like, it's 
ongoing. Yeah. And you get hints of it where uh, David Warner coming in and Sam Neill just being like, it must be pretty bad out there, eh? <laughs> yeah, and he's intrigued that Sam Neill knows that. <laughs> yeah. But he just wants to stay inside now. And then we get the, uh, the great flashback. We get all of him being... 40s noir uh, you mentioned this already with the Columbo thing of I feel like this character has the like just a bit of advice that that's his like his catchphrase yeah totally if this were like a serialized thing he would say that to all of his his detainees yeah I would be sharing on social media all the just one more thing John Trent isms (laughs) John Trent even his name is a very like I just threw two first names together I'm not a good writer I love it though. It's so great. Oh, it's wonderful. It's very like it's it's tasty in that way that really pulpy shit is. Yeah, yeah. It's this thing where thankfully I've talked about Carpenter being super efficient of just blowing through stuff. Yes. I'm. This movie does not work at all without that. I don't think because if you were given time to breathe in it, you'd be like, "What is this hack shit?" (laughs) Or like, or or. Oh, this is a, an homage, cute, whatever. Yeah, sure. Like it, at best, you're like, oh, that's. I also like those movies, John. Like that's kind of the the best you're coming up with. But before you have the time to think about it, you're already in Hobbs End, and you no longer are thinking about that because yeah, everything else is so spooky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the conceit being that he has to investigate this disappearance of a writer as potential fraud on yeah. the com- part of the company. Like, are they pulling this? They're claiming his life insurance or whatever. Is that is that a fraudulent claim or not? It's such a low stakes thing for no, what eventually happens, which is which is great, right? That's his little world that yeah. no one else gives a shit about, but he's really good at. Given the setup, though, I would watch that regular movie. Like it seems fun from the outside, honestly. And it, that's why, like, every piece of this is a really good hook. Mm. You know? Yeah, unlike a lot of. Uh, I think this is true for Carpenter stuff. I don't really feel the act breaks so much in Carpenter mm. movies. It just flows really quickly and nicely a lot of the time. Yeah. But this really is like, okay, get to know John Trent. Yeah. Then we go to Hobbs End, and then we leave Hobbs End. Like, it's so delineated. It's very geographically broken up. Yeah, I guess so. that's kind of what does it. Because yeah. I think so much of Carpenter's movie, my favorite Carpenter stuff is all the siege sure. movie stuff. One location only. Yeah, where this is kind of like one location his mind. <laughs> Boo. It's true, though. Stop booing me. I'm right. <laughs> One location, Toronto. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the yeah, scariest place in the world. Let's talk about this for a little bit, because we're going to talk about it at some point anyway. Okay, sure. I was thinking of doing a location, location, location segment. Oh, nice. Okay. But it really is just like, I know that place. Yeah. I know that place. Yeah, uh, this movie's shot like virtually 100% in Toronto, which is yeah, a real like... Surrounding area. We gotta, we gotta love it. For it's our local production. Um, <laughs> Ken Con. Well, here's a Carpenter quote on Southern Ontario. Oh sure. New York skyscrapers and New England remoteness. We found everything we needed. It's Yay, just like, yep, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Hobbs End, that name of a town, is a reference to a story called the Quatermass Pit. Go back to our Prince of Darkness episode for more about Quatermass. That movie theater is the Eglinton Theater, which I don't think is operating anymore, or it's been gentrified. One or the other. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It might be like a shopper's drug mart or something yeah. now. <laughs> the uh, main, like, New england street is Unionville, is that yeah, right? Yeah, which is like a short subway ride away. Yeah. But the big subway. one is the terrifying church. The black church. Yeah. that We were like, oh, it must have, like mats behind it or something to make it look no that, no no special effects that's a real church that still exists and it looked like that at the time yeah there's nothing around it. no it's this insane church in the middle so of nowhere weird. <laughs> this what? is not uncommon though there's a lot mm. of like 
Canada is a very spread out place and this is common in Alberta where where there'll be like mosques or Ukrainian churches or like mm. just literally out in the middle of nowhere because there's so much room. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it'll just be like, oh my God, on the skyline, just like a huge church. It's very funny. But this is one of those churches that because there is all this space, it's originally farmers that settled yeah. the, those areas. And so like, yeah, you're going to build it in the middle of nowhere because there isn't anything. That's where you live. It's yeah. just farms. Yeah. Um, it's like a Greek Orthodox church or something? Uh, Russian Orthodox church, Yeah, okay. Yes. Which, uh, yeah, those spinnerets on top. Though. Yeah. Yeah. The onions. <laughs> it's like, a spooky looking church. So spooky. And like, they must have been salivating when they found it. Like, <laughs> oh my God. You cannot be serious. <laughs> Do you guys got these everywhere in Canada? I want to live up here. <laughs> Love that it's such a perfect... It, even the way it's shot seems unreal. Like, we watched it and yeah. we know this area. And it was like, oh, there must be special effects to they erase stuff They must have the digitally erased some of the buildings around it. Nope. No. Even the weird... Like, they have very forbidding-looking, like, lamp posts yep. leading up to it on the drive up. It's all real. They did nothing. Like, they didn't yeah. have to do anything. They just showed up with a camera. That's so crazy. <laughs> it's now built up a little bit, so you don't have that There same, are some buildings around. Yeah, I think there's like a strip mall next to it now or something, which is upsetting. Very depressing. <laughs> I'm becoming a NIMBY, but just for <laughs> black churches. Just for the black church. There's a little mini location, location, location segment. And the location where John Trent gets attacked with an axe is now a bulk barn. But <laughs> specifically crazy. one where they sell... Like this type of Oreo that you can't get in normal stores. I don't so know. it's an important location yeah. for you for two <laughs> for different me. reasons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Uh, but speaking of Hobbs End, the approach to Hobbs End is so scary. <laughs> yes. How do you feel about the town that dare not speak its name? <laughs> Here's where it's great that you can have the meta layer of you're in a horror story because it is so... It's laid on so thick. Like... <laughs> The approach and the child on the bicycle who gets hit by the car and then becomes mm. an old man. Yeah. And the shots of him, like, coming into frame as the headlights are catching him and going out of frame in the rear view. As Ooh, they're driving. So spooky. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird. I mean, things feel very unreal when you're driving the highway at night anyway. And I grew up driving these highways yeah. specifically, these rural Ontario back There's roads. nothing It's around. exactly what it's like. There yeah. is nothing. Like, yeah, there no is, lights. There's not the modern convenience of the... Uh, the paint isn't that weird reflectiveness that right, yeah. is in new paint jobs. It is just like dull yellow. Yeah. You don't see curves coming, all this type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There could be literally anything outside of your car. Yeah. You would not know. Then you get to Hobbs End and every store is an antiques de- yeah. dealer. <laughs> yeah. It has a very... It has this sense of like even you know the hotel is so like old fashioned that they, mm. that they get to he he gets out of the car and he's like yeah cute this is real cute Main Street USA you know <laughs> it has this very these are shorthand for towns that have not are not vital have yeah. not seen like new blood in quite some time and are are on their way out you know which is in this story the human species as a whole yeah but that's like. I, I haven't read a lot of Stephen King, but that just feels like that is a lot of Stephen King stories, and that's what makes it popular, is here's a New England town uh, that's sure. spooky and is dying. Yeah, that's is the, one of the jokes, like, he... Forget he Stephen King. The, yeah, <laughs> forget Stephen King. The only actual horror writer to be named in this movie, which I feel like is a bit of a... <laughs> which is very funny, because <laughs> th- three movies ago he did Christine. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> yeah. 
the the Hobbs End map that he puts together, that Trent puts together from like covers of the books. Yeah, it's like partway in Maine or something. They just New Hampshire. Where? Yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Sure. But it, it's very much like here is where we all know what you're trying yeah. to do. Yeah, Castle Rock is the Stephen King town that he grew up in. Like that's his literal, the name of the town that Stephen King grew up in is called oh, Castle okay. Rock. And Got that's it. what is the model for a lot of his spooky New oh. England New England places. And that's so this is kind of like a horror trope filtered through three times. Yeah. Which is another great metal layer. I love it. <laughs> if you want to think a lot about the horror movie you're watching, yeah. then this is a good one. <laughs> but it's why it's so rewatchable. Uh, this is like It's so rewatchable. Classic. We yeah. watched it like two months ago and then we were like, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, at why first, not? We're like, oh, but we just watched it. Do we want to like Yeah, yeah it. we do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's great. So all of the inside of the black church are all, like, actual sets. That's, sure, sure. That church doesn't have upside-down crosses and stuff in it. We move through that and into Kane's lair, and I love his big, wet door. <laughs> God, so disgusting. A lot of goop in, yeah. in this one, for sure. Is it Carpenter's wettest movie? Oh, wait, we just did the <sighs> we just episode did about Prince wet Satan. We just did Darkness, but... <laughs> I mean, honestly, other than the literal vat of liquid, yeah, well, maybe. fog is just moisture in the air. That's so true. It takes place on a bay. I'm learning that Carpenter is one of our biggest proponents of the wetness of evil. <laughs> All evil is slightly damp. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has a he has a type of evil. <laughs> Cars, Christine is a car, runs on fuel. I was thinking... <laughs> Oil is a liquid. Uh, Michael Myers needs water to stay alive. No, uh, we're veering. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, it's an amazing set. What I particularly love is Linda Stiles, uh, Julie Carmen's character, going to investigate. And mm-hmm. she kind of opens a door and there's uh, this Alan Wake fucking looking room with the, you know, circular window and a typewriter on a yeah. desk in front of it. She closes the door, kind of walks away. There's no one in there. It's obviously just a little small room, like a rectory or whatever. And then she starts to hear the sound of the The typewriter. What the fuck? And so she goes back and opens it and said, like, cavernous room. The walls are clearly made of meat or something Something. organic. Uh, And the big wet door. The big wet door. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, black church related. I fucking love the appearance, the first appearance of Sutter Kane. He's such a drama queen i love it yeah the lightning claps and the door flapping open and closed he's got like yeah. a little grin of like neat huh <laughs> you like that because <laughs> the doors are flying open to this church a kid is there like he's been i guess the the eldritch ones are like absorbing the children this and this is why i love this movie because if this was about the mechanics of here come the old ones i would be so <laughs> it doesn't make any sort of internal sense. It's not, yeah, the, the you don't see that part of it happening a yeah. lot until a very concentrated part at the end. And it's that's the, like, <sighs> the outer threat, I guess. But the, the interesting yeah. meaty part of the movie is watching... Watching Trent react Trent, to yeah, this, like, yeah, have to like it's, it's so it. funny to me the scene where he's trying to like calm Styles down and he knocks on what we the audience know is a fictional table, yeah, and says this is reality. <laughs> so and he's being so like bitchy about it, like yeah. hello, obviously this is all real. <laughs> <laughs> that like that encapsulates 
the entire interesting bit of this movie. I love it. And yeah. I love how much fun everyone gets to have with it. Yeah. It really is like, hey, check out what you think and uh, re-examine them. How about there's the conversation as they're driving into or trying to find Hobbs End that's just like really feels like philosophy 101 like well what if uh i don't agree with your outlook of reality what if sutter kane's reality came true like you would never have this conversation unless it was in a horror novel yeah um (laughs) or you're stoned in a dorm room exactly yeah uh but the another like tiny rug pull i like is um trent calling i can't remember her name but the the pickford i think it is the the inn pickman yeah pickman uh uh played by francis bay the elderly innkeeper that he's like oh this in the books she's supposed to like mutilate her husband and like look at this sweet old thing and when he eventually asks like uh it's a cool painting did you paint it and she goes hell no hell no (laughs) (laughs) such a like like what's lurking underneath and her husband is naked and strapped she has mutilated him but you know (laughs) that's beside the point but it's just such a little like she swore (laughs) (laughs) i like that everyone in this movie Sam Neill included, like Charlton Heston too, a little bit. Mm. Linda Stiles, like definitely. I don't know. There's something about the way that Julie Carmen is playing her. All the like Sutter Kane almost is the only exception to this, where everyone seems like they might go insane at any moment. Like uh, the all of the townspeople, the kids are so weird. Kids yeah. are inherently like creepy in horror movies, but they're really creepy in this. <laughs> The the father that's trying to get his child back from the black church. Right. He's just, I don't know, there's something about the way, like you said, a lot of interesting faces in Carpenter movies. There's yeah. something about the way he looks that I'm like, is this guy already like a monster wearing a flesh suit? They, they're just all so weird. Yeah. And it gives the whole, the whole movie this sense of like, I don't even care if this is the site of an unspeakable horror or not. I just don't want to be here. Yeah. It's just weird. I do love the kids. You only get like a couple shots of them. And then eventually when you're seeing the little girl up close, you're like, oh, you're a monster. I oh, get it. one but of your I, eyes is not supposed to be there. I think that like you can see her devolving throughout. Yes. Which is yeah. really a very cool way to be like the B plot of this, that this town is being subsumed, is ongoing. It's, it's progressing. Yeah. yeah. You're just not seeing it every step of the way. Yeah. I like that as a sort of indicator that horrible things are happening off screen and John Mm. Trent has no power to stop them whatsoever. Like, they're happening whether he figures out what's going on or not. He's refusing the evidence in front of him Mm because he has his own bullshit biases. Yeah, so what about, what else about Hobbs End? What else do you like about Hobbs End? <laughs> I do here? really like the, I guess the, um, the bar that he goes into mm. has not been changed really so it's still that weird blood red color inside yeah. very dark wood paneling and stuff i enjoy that i love that there's never any more than like one person except if it's a mob yeah it feels very at once spooky and to go back to what you said before like this is a writer writing things from the protagonist's point of view and like oh i forgot to put other characters on yeah, the street exactly, like, yeah. i do love that there's you could read all of this as a subtle dig about how shitty kane's writing is <laughs> That's it's so if you do put that filter on your viewing of it, it becomes just pitch perfect yeah. of like, oh, forgot to describe what his room looks like. Uh, I guess he's in a black white. Um, forgot to write any other people into this into this town to jump ahead a little bit. We have the amazing. Did you did I ever tell you my favorite color is blue moment? <laughs> Everybody in close up in this movie, except for Sam Neill and Julie Carmen, has blue eyes. Oh, right. It's just such a like. Oh, shit. That's so weird. unimaginable. Imaginative. <laughs> so great. That's creepy. Yeah. I like that a lot. 
it's such a great description. I have read like a few Stephen King things and it just really does feel like you stepped into two thirds of a way through a Stephen King novel, mm, like yeah. when, when they go to the town. But it's a Stephen King ripoff writer. Like it's it, mm-hmm, Stephen King, mm-hmm. I don't love him, but when he's good, he's like the very like long lyrical kind of horror passages mm. are quite affecting. I've yeah. never been scared by any of his books, but this does feel like an imitator, which I yes. think is a ton of fun. Which is great. Extra meta layer of Carpenter. Go, like he purposely goes out of his way for each of his horror movies to try and do something different, like we've kind of talked about. Sure, right. These episodes. He wants to switch it up. And he created so many copycats and all that. So like another layer of him getting to be like, and here's what a copycat would do. Yeah. Like, because he knows it's one of those things like once you're really good at something, you have the skill of it, then you can bend it or you can yeah. you can do it poorly on purpose. Yeah, because his big thing is like you should everyone who wants to be a director should go to film school and learn every aspect of the craft and then do whatever the fuck you want. Like sure. break every rule you want, but at least you understand what you're breaking. Yeah, yeah. It's funny when he gets asked about like, what do you think about people that are doing like Halloween ripoffs and all that? And he's just like, I don't care. Yeah, I, don't I talk can't about imagine that. him caring. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the '90s was such a ripe time. Like Scream, you know, oh, yeah. came out, and like we're suddenly commenting on things and yes. examining it, but in its own format. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Using Knowing the why you're breaking the rules. Yeah, we've gotten far enough along that like we're into the fourth iteration of something to be like, <laughs> and here's why those other ones were bad and the original yeah, one exactly. was good. Yeah. Kinda. And then that itself becomes the new touchstone for the next. Yeah. God, humanity's exhausting. I see why Ugh. John Trent's like, wipe us all out. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> yeah, you talk a big game, John Trent, but then you don't want humanity to be erased. And so in the town, all those special effects, we've got Greg Nicotero is here. I love seeing that name come yeah. up in the, yeah. yeah. He's a uh, makeup. I think most people would know him now as like special makeup effects for The Walking Dead. Yeah, I think that's the main one. And he worked on some Romero stuff, right? I believe. Early, early on? Yeah, he must have. That's... Or, um... When he, like, early in his career, yes. he would have yeah. worked on some later Romeros. Which, that would make sense as, like, Carpenter was a big Romero head, so that makes sense. Yep, that um, tracks. But I do love, here's a quote about special effects from Carpenter. Quote, if they'd given us more money, we would have done computer effects, but we did madness the old-fashioned way, all with rubber. <laughs> Went crazy with rubber. And to, so... Yeah. As we're leaving Hobbs End, as stuff's getting wrapped up there, we get the amazing uh, Sutter Kane ripping himself out like suicide i think he just like becomes a like he is becoming an old one effectively at that point he's just yeah, like I giving up just... his corporeality to become papers <laughs> yeah i think he just writes himself out yeah like i bit yeah i don't know it's such a i love the ripping himself open and that's how the door gets open yeah the big wet bulgy door there's a lot to be said there too is about the idea of the artist the creator of art mm. as like you're you're emptying yourself mm. to bring something else into the world and like does that you know once it's out there is it a part of you anymore are you still the same when you're you know, especially on the scale that Sutter Kane is meant to be, like, so popular. Yeah. Does does that make it not yours anymore? Like, hmm. you know, there's a lot of... Are you saying we're seeing a literal death of the author on screen? <laughs> I guess we are. <laughs> <laughs> literal, figurative, all of it, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I've talked about how John Carpenter is one of our best notice-a-thing-and-then-make-it-visual guys. That's so, so true, like, hey, actually. So this death of the author thing. <laughs> Sounds what pretty cool. What if I made the author kill himself? Huh. I think we're onto something. Yeah. 
I I really like I think it's it's a quieter less intense part of the movie but when John is sort of captured by the town and mm. you know he can't get out and they they grab him and he winds up in the church in the confessional booth and that's such a funny <laughs> place that's such a funny construction for him to talk to this author where the author is like trying to he's confessing right back to John of like mm. I this is what I've been doing yeah. and he needs to tell someone about it oh, or, that's you a know. good point to think of that and like is it real is what you intended real until you tell someone else your intent <laughs> you know what I mean and he's telling it to his fictional creation yeah which is such another layer of like oh my god dude <laughs> You have too much power. And you're like, I think you I'm don't God. Like, yeah. uh, dance puppet? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, it's a lot more thoughtful than you would expect. Well, yeah, this is... It's funny, for this not being my favorite Carpenter, it cuts to the exact reason I love him so much, mm. of he's just about taking the art form and making something entertaining about it. He's not about the really heady stuff. If there is the really heady stuff, he does think it's interesting and he'll put it in there, but he will not dwell on it. He just likes He trusts you things. to dwell on it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. wants you to get entertained in the moment, scream, laugh, cry, and then think about it afterward. And that's kind yeah. of... He's not presenting you big philosophical things to, like, wrestle with in the moment. Like, oh, yeah, that is tough. It's just to go, like, wee! Yeah. Ah, I think, like you said, he's our best noticer of stuff. And yeah. that just comes with a certain degree of, like... Hey, ain't life like that? Yeah, he you know? I, like he somehow manages to make roller coaster entertainment movies that are still really poignant and th- like grounded really, in something very real. Yeah, yeah, which like agree. Yeah, I love it. He might be like I'm just I'm doing a lot of self examining lately. I feel like John Carpenter and Miyazaki are like my two guys. I think <laughs> Kurosawa found dead in a oh, ditch. Oh God! I, no, I'm sorry, Kurosawa. <laughs> I don't know how he died. Maybe that's really insensitive. I don't know. <laughs> For now, Cut my this. guys. Yeah. <laughs> we can't let Kurosawa's estate hear this. Is that they what we're saying? They don't care. Um, anyway. But to go back to the wet, bulgy door. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, I sidetracked us. As, as part of the great, like, overlapping meta horrible heart of creation the black church wet door like you could make an argument that john carpenter is calling himself an old god in this of just like he is a horror (laughs) beyond comprehension he's telling the writer what to write like yeah (laughs) that's a real like if you write something so scary that someone goes insane you have the power to make someone insane that's a little much but the original like conceit here was it was going to be like had their budget not been slashed over and over and over again. Aww. The original idea of this, which I think is bad and not as good, is uh, Sutter Kane finishes the manuscript, hands it over to John Trent, and then the town kind of turns inside out and gets sucked into the manuscript, and John Trent's, like, sure. standing at that T-intersection, like, oh. what the fuck happened? Oh, that's awesome. But it's a much more literal, plot-driven kind of thing of, like, sure. oh, we all see what's happening here, as opposed to what we get is... Sutter Kane ripping himself open to let out rubber monsters that yeah. chase him down a hallway, and then he wakes up on a T-intersection. Yeah, he, like, trips and falls yeah. and stands up at the intersection. Which still lets you go, strings you along farther on, like, wait, is he real or not? Like, I think that you, the way it's written originally, this is where John Trent finds out he is not real. End of discussion. Oh, um, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, where you're like, oh, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be here holding this unless... I mean, he has the two choices. Either he accepts that he's a written creation or he's insane. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> he really, like, he says I'm not insane a couple of times over the course of the movie. And it gets less convinced every time. <laughs> yeah, he's just knee-jerking at first. Yeah. And like, wait a minute. I might be Maybe. insane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that monster wall. Interesting. I want to tell you another Carpenter quote. He's got so many great quotes. Amazing, yeah. Quote, the monsters had to be outrageous Lovecraftian demons, but in the novels, they're always so horrible that they're beyond description. They're too terrifying to see. So how do you visualize something like that? Well, very, very quickly. They also had to be slightly cartoonish since Sam Neill spends most of his movie ridiculing horror only to discover that it's all too real. Right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, don't focus on these yeah. quick cuts. <laughs> There's a lot of like uh, moving shadows and stuff yes. so that you don't have to, yeah. And I like the the uh, when he finds Styles after she's gotten monsterified, the tentacles under the door. Ugh. That's It's such a great argument for the like, well, cutting the budget resulted in all these cool things yes yeah. hey, we're big proponents on this pod and our friend madrin from monstrology mm, is yes. as well of like the less resources you have the better your product can actually be because truly necessity is the mother of invention yeah this is that sweet uh sweet spot i think of like a habitable zone in the solar system where it's like <laughs> yes you exactly. have just enough money but not too much money you can't do it with yeah. computers no 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 <laughs> come yep. back you can't cheat you yeah. have to make the thing yep and with, you have to have a real talent like Nicotero or or what have you. Yeah, with, for only $8 million. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny. It's considered a box office flop, but it uh, cost $8 million to make and made back $9 million. So they're <laughs> <rickin laughs> even, baby. Let me look up flop in the dictionary. Well, it didn't make back three times its fucking budget, so yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, how we leave Hobbs End. And then we get the great... I don't know. I do. I waffle back and forth. This time around, this was my favorite part of the movie. Rewatching is just uh, watching Trent struggle with realizing reality doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah. He, he definitely like he's so ragged looking when they drag him in to the asylum at the beginning, yeah. and then the flashback. He's describing himself in this flashback, but he's so like sharply put together, and he's like his hair is good. And then by the time he kind of gets back from Hobbs End. He's well, so twitchy and paranoid and he's on the bus starting to and fall he's apart. Talked to by an old I remember New York in the Depression. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that woman. Uh everything becomes blue, which is a great another like they just put a friggin' gel over the <laughs> camera. Like it's no special effect whatsoever. No, it's, it's so, so great. Funny. Yeah. Uh you get the manuscript that he left getting delivered. You get the manuscript that he left uh, getting burned up and all this. I love it. A real it's... cat came back situation yeah, with this manuscript. Much. And then he goes to, he finally, I guess, is like out of options and he goes to visit Jackson Harglow, the publisher, and is like, please, like, we can't, this manuscript, even, even if I'm crazy, clearly the book made me crazy, so it's not right for you to publish yeah, it. It's going to hurt like, people. You Even if you believe nothing I have told yeah. you. Yeah. Look at what happened to me. You met me a month, like two yeah. months ago. You yeah. know I'm not like this. <laughs> and he's like, we published the manuscript months ago. You brought it to me in this office. And I think that's when he fully is like, fuck it. Reality's not real. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but I love that from the Sutter Kane perspective, too, of just being like, this guy is so annoying. <laughs> I'm just going to write that it happened already. And then he it oh, had an off screen. Get out of my fucking... Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I don't think Sutter Kane died, right? Because he's 
writing the book so he could just write himself as died and yet still influencing things. Yep. I don't even know. I really love John Trent's final, you know, what happens right before he goes to the asylum, where he's just kind of shivering and walking around in a trench coat and he's waiting outside the bookstore. <laughs> a kid comes out and is like, the book, you know, it's really good. He's like, yeah, you're enjoying it? All right, then this isn't going to come as a surprise. And he just <laughs> fucking shops the kid with an axe. So great. Oh, my God. Uh, Do you think he ever read the manuscript? That's the tricky thing. It is like, I don't, I don't think he did. I think he's just coming to accept that whatever he does was written. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... I think that he's still a stubborn enough bitch that he yeah. wouldn't allow himself to read <laughs> Agree. But he's willing to make concessions like going to see the movie version. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the movie poster out there is it lists like starring uh, John Trent and like it's got the character yeah, names. Yeah, and Linda Stiles and Jackson Harglow. Yeah, but the all the crew is just who is who the made, real crew of yeah. this movie. It's great. I love it. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, and then we get what might be my favorite ending to anything. Like, it's just so, like, laughing <laughs> so till you cry. He looks like he's gonna throw up yeah, from like, laughing. There's, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a freedom in that moment where he's like, I am no longer capable. It It's sort of, they've solved the Lovecraftian problem. It's not that the horrors are yeah. so horrible. It's that you no longer, you've become incapable of understanding them. Yeah. He is no longer capable of grasping what's going on. It'd be one thing if he just laughed at it, but it's the laugh and then it turns to like this wrenching, like you can see that like he- Like a choking sound. Wants to scream. Yeah. It's just, oh, it's so good. Sam Neill, fabulous actor. And it's really, you could really play this- Stupid. It's so stupid. And I don't think he, he yeah, he does like, not. This is something that I, this is such a famous ending that I feel like most would, if they're interested in seeing In the Mouth of Madness, they probably know the ending already. Possibly. But like, it doesn't diminish it at all for me. No. Every time it comes back, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to hammer this point again that I've been saying for the past two episodes. Carpenter is just one of our best at endings. He, like, unmatched for endings. Yeah. On, like, sending you out into the world with, like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, God. Michael Myers is everywhere. Reality doesn't exist. Uh, Kurt Russell's an alien. Like, it's just... <laughs> yeah, every mirror image of yourself is the devil. Uh... <laughs> yeah. That is funny. So let's <laughs> talk about the Apocalypse Trilogy on the whole, because each of these episodes, <sighs> I've been talking about how, like, the thing is loss of faith in common man, Prince of Darkness loss of faith in, like, the idea of faith, and this one is... One of the clearest to me, weirdly, but I, I'm curious how this strikes to you. Mm. This is just a loss of faith in what you understand of as reality. It's just a, like... Yeah. You can see well, the pitch of this. What if reality wasn't real? Like, it's just... Yeah, it's yeah. literally just reality isn't what it used to be. Yep. I think you could argue that this is the loss of faith in yourself. Oh, like, sure. You yeah. are the final, you know, solipsism... It makes some good points where it's like, fundamentally, you know, from first principles, the only thing I can count on, or the only thing, the only way I actually have to gather data is my eyes and brain. Yeah. So that's actually the only thing I I know I'm receiving, you know, quote unquote correctly. And mm. if that turns out to be, like, if I, if it's all soup in there and I'm not able to parse what I'm seeing, then... 
I, as a person, don't exist because I can't relate to the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's why I, like, I love the Apocalypse trilogy for having it, like, it starts entirely external, then it becomes about you interfacing with the unseen, and then it becomes mm. about you interfacing with the only things you can see. Like, it's just, yeah. it gets more and more internal as uh, the movies go on. Yeah. I like, I like that a lot. And I do feel like the <laughs> there is sort of a little mini apocalypse going on over the course of the trilogy where, mm. like, you could see they, they might have won. And maybe they did win in the mm. first one. The second one is like, I don't like our chances. Yeah. And the third one is, you never had a chance ever. It's yes, over. Yes, exactly. Because the... the yeah, the thing really is like I think I think it turned out. It, it could have turned you could out. Argue okay. that it yeah. turned out okay. Yeah. The second one is oh we staved it off for a little bit. Yeah. But did not, we learn any lessons? But not really. Yeah. yeah. But we've still got time, and this is just like no, you didn't know it was already happening to you when it was happening. Yeah. Yeah. Or even worse, you just accepted it as like well it's not going to be so bad. Yeah. And then you 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 saw it, recognized it, and we're like this is fine. Yes. <laughs> And you uh, became a willing participant in it. Yeah, yeah. Arguably, yeah. you by by seeing and noticing and accepting it, you made it happen. Yeah, yeah. Dang. God damn it, guys. These movies rule. They're so yeah. great. <laughs> They're so fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. I think like we can you know dissect all we want. They're just fucking fun to watch, yeah. and they give so much. Like you can read as much or as little as you wanted to them. They're yep. just a ton of fun. On an intellectual or just fun level. And I think part of, like, Carpenter's whole personality around this stuff, like, just further enhances how he how he is so divorced from a thing once he's finished. He's just like, I yeah. don't know, you, you could go watch it. I won't tell you what I to. I don't care. <laughs> Let me read you this quote. Somebody asked him about how he likes talking about his movies. And he said, quote, talking about my own movies? God, no, I hate it. I don't want to do that. They speak for themselves. <laughs> yeah, I honestly think they do. Yeah, yeah. no, I agree. Yeah, there yeah. you go. I feel like they're, the only time I that I'm aware of he's ever told people what to think about his movies was... Uh, they live where he was like this is not for neo-nazis yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's the only time he's clearly said a thing <laughs> to my knowledge just so you know this isn't what it's about i won't tell you what it is about but it's not that <laughs> and as yeah. we wrap up our apocalypse trilogy coverage here i wanted to share with you a few just a few more john carpenter quotes just because i could quote this guy <laughs> all day i love it that's great quote i came to sonic the hedgehog in 1992 uh, that was kind of a joke, but um, <laughs> talking about horror writing because oh, he's God. been part of this movie is he never says this, but it does feel like he's obviously exercising all the shit that's come at him over the years. Yeah, this um, is a real James Cameron level of like, you know, we can all see this, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, since the thing, he's categorized as the pornographer of violence, and the master of horror is a joke. Like that's why he right. calls himself that as a joke because he's like, "Oh, I'm so scary." <laughs> you fucking babies. <laughs> yeah, but just asked about like, what do you think about the horror community? And this is like, I think that we all know this now, but back then it was like, they're all secret satanists that will right. kill you. They're depraved. Yeah, that's satanic panic stuff coming through yeah but i like this uh quote people write about these kinds of things because of their pain and what's driving them inside not any need to hurt others oh that's lovely yeah which is like yeah that's exactly what it is and you look at sutter kane in this movie and he that confessional scene is him being like it's all i can think about i needed to get it out yeah like it's literally him exercising his demons it's just sorry the demons are real damn yeah <laughs> it's well it's it's kind of sad in that way where it's like He's he's admitting that like I don't know like he if he'd kept it to himself mm. it wouldn't be real 
Yeah, but it speaks to the inevitability of it again. I yes, think. yeah. Where like, it, it's only a matter of time till it spills out of him. Yes, and like the more people connect with it, the realer it gets, and yeah. that's a very like that can be very powerful in a good or a bad direction. And uh, just want to highlight, it's a very spooky painting. And oh god, <laughs> fucking that's such a funny escalation because <laughs> it's a nice like the painting hanging up in the in the inn it's like oh this is a nice painting kind of i don't know french impressionist ist yeah and then oh my god wait the people are looking in a different direction than they were and then they have crazy faces and you kind of think that's going to be the end well, of it well and Trent walks up and he's like did somebody paint over yeah this? he's checks. like because he thinks he's being punked yeah and, like, and oh, then monsters <laughs> monsters but then they turn into horrible, agonized trees. Yeah. That's, there's like an extra layer of like, oh, I don't understand. I don't what's recognize happening. this as human anymore, even. Yeah. Yucky. I um, love that painting. And uh, we're not getting a copy of it. And Come on! <laughs> what I want to end uh, the Apocalypse trilogy coverage on uh, Carpenter quote, quote, my entire life has been about conquering fear and dealing with it personally and professionally. One of the things I did personally to conquer my fears was I became a helicopter pilot. I got my commercial pilot's license, and that was just because I thought, well, if I'm going to be making movies about tough guys, I better be one for a minute. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. Aw, he he's goes, method acting. He, he, he goes on to play a helicopter pilot in Starman, I know. but uh, Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, he's just Didn't literally realize. flying in his helicopters. Right. But he, he has this, like, I love his approach to that just really underscores that, like, we have this pain in us type of thing. Yeah. Like, he talks about how he was frightened of everything as a kid. Oh. Including the movie that we see in this movie, Robot Monster. Oh, no way! Yeah. Aw. That was, like, Robot Monster, the thing from another world, and Tom and Jerry were some of his favorite things growing up. Oh. And they're e- one of them is in each of these Apocalypse Trilogy movies. Right, okay, yeah. Yeah. Aw. Which is just, like, he's... Charming. He is confronting his fears, is yeah. what it feels like. He's he's folding them back in and being like, you're part of my work now. Yep. Yeah. You're part of my work. You're part of me. Yeah. yeah. He's such a, like, I don't want to say uncomplicated guy, but he's just, like, he's a real upfront dude. Yeah. I think that's it. I think he is as complex as any other human. He's just yeah. really good at confronting it. Yeah. He's just had a lot of he's practice with it. He's just honest with it. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. May we all be just like John Carpenter in the ways of we play a lot of video games and are honest with ourselves. That's what I'm going to do right after this podcast is done. <laughs> I'm going to say an honest thing and then play Sonic. <laughs> uh, I love that. And I that's uh, in the mouth of madness. I would love to hear your final thoughts, your takeaways, all that stuff. Yeah. And a thing that I forgot, I didn't uh, prepare any review review for us this week. That's okay, because I did. <gasps> I Just just from uh, Letterboxd or whatever. Okay, well, I would love to hear some that you brought, and I will just hang out and uh, not contribute anything this week. <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it. Honestly, you've earned oh, it. Oh, thank you. I do, before we do that, I just want to sure. make one mention of a, I like to highlight cool knitwear wherever I see it. <laughs> and I just want to, I just want to highlight Kane's cozy fucking little turtleneck thing mm. that he's wearing. It looks so cozy. It's got a nice, like, drapey turtleneck. It's, it's wonderful. It's lovely. Go look it up. <laughs> um, yeah. It's been Aaron's Knitting Nook. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, here are some of my enjoyable reviews for this. Please, uh, I'd love to hear it. One is from Josh Lewis, who is, I believe, a Toronto guy who runs the Sleezoids podcast. Oh, yes, I know that 
<laughs> this is the, he says, this is the original. Damn, my life a movie. <laughs> 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 Which I like a lot. Damn. He talks about the Italian nightmare logic horror set pieces that mm. fold in on themselves as they struggle with the contradictory nature of trying to contain cosmic horror inside an entertainment product. So it is really like the thing it's depicting is itself. Yeah. And you can have a lot of fun with that. I like hearing the Italian side because some of the questions Carpenter got on the press tour for this movie was about, like, you say that. Um, uh, Argento is a big influence, and you did like riffs on Suspiria throughout. Mm. Is this your riff on Tenebre, which is another uh, like yes. about authorship horror sure. kind of thing? And he, his response is just like, "I love Tenebre." No, it's not. Next question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, but no. <laughs> Appreciate that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, here's another one from user Cat in My Brain. <laughs> Sorry to hear. Hope you get well soon. <laughs> uh, during the 90s, the self-referential horror fame reigned supreme. Um, mm. A lot of this commentary serviced nothing. Uh, <laughs> they're talking about, like, Scream and Friday the ter- 13th. Yeah. It stopped at people die in horror films for doing drugs or having sex. Criticisms that are more glib than infi- insightful. <laughs> in the Mouth of Madness is significantly different, and he describes it as a, sat- a satire of structure and style, but oh, not of yeah. subject. Yeah, Which that's I great. think is a great, because this is a way to satirize how you deliver things to people in the entertainment world. And, like, but the subject, like you said, it's people's pain, often yeah. horror. It's it's people's personal hangups or their struggles or whatever. And, like, that's a very real and human thing that you have to kind of, you know, unfortunately often cheaply package <laughs> up and, and produce en masse. Well, you talk about the... Uh, it's a s- satirizing delivery. There's even the line of here, like, what about the non-readers? The movie comes out next week. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It. Like, what about people who don't read? We have to hit There's all of movie. the the different corners of the market. Yeah. 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 Which business, I love. Business, 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 business. <laughs> and uh, my favorite review from user Brianna: If Tony Collette is the underrated scream queen, then Sam Neill is the underrated scream king. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's true. We've got what? We've got uh, Event Horizon. This. Possession, uh, which possession. I need to see yeah. at some point. I've not seen Possession. And, like, arguably the piano, there's a real... He's the one oh, escalating God, yeah. a lot of the body horror in the piano. So, you know, I can't just call everything body horror, but you, you remember what I mean. Yes, I do. Yep. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> and one final thing I want to throw out. I do love... I think that there's a certain point where John Carpenter divorces himself from film criticism, like he mm. or or criticism of the art form of horror. Sure. To the point of he hadn't heard about what the final girl trope was until this press tour he did for this movie. Oh, really? Like it literally came up, and he's like, Despite "I don't know what you're talking Halloween? about." Halloween. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> that's funny. He had like a, a press person explain like this is where it comes from, this is what it's about, and Halloween is one of the primest examples. And he's like, "I don't buy that." It's just like, that's <laughs> All the, right, fair enough. Sure, take what you want, but I wasn't... It's not about the fact that she was virginal stuff. It's the fact that she's a loser and nobody wants to hang out with her. <laughs> she's like, sitting at home knitting. Yeah, like, it's literally about... It's a plot contrivance. I had sure. to make her be on her own, and that's how I did it, by making her the outcast. That's uh. the only way the movie works. <laughs> just like... It's so funny, because it comes back to he's not a complicated guy. He's not being no. like, I'm making a comment. He's just like, how do I make the plot make sense? Yeah. Here's a person I've noticed, you know. 
<laughs> That's so great. It also really speaks to like once it's out in the world, people can do whatever they want yep. with it. It's no longer your choice. Yep. <laughs> ah, good stuff. Love it. There you go. Great shit. There are my things. Well, thank you for bringing those. Uh, I checked my notes and I have nothing this week. So I'm glad you had a few. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now I'm going to make you keep talking and I want to hear your final takeaway on this movie that you love. Well, so the the concept of like apocalypse as a whole, since we're doing the apocalypse trilogy, mm. I just want to like throw in a little bit about mm. that because I just think it's an interesting, like it's such an overdone concept yeah. now. And I think particularly like all the post 9-11 like individualist survivalist yeah. bullshit where it's like, you're not safe. Like you're actually safer than it literally any time ever in human history from the threats that you think are the real threats. Yeah, but I think that that has shifted the viewpoint to now it's all about post-apocalypse stuff. Yes, and, yeah. and there's a very specific, like this is an apocalypse. Like it's, it's an active verb happening in all three yes. of these movies. Whereas the post-apocalyptic stuff is the very like, okay, well the inevitable happened and, and how would you, you know, everyone thinks they're going to be like Glenn on The Walking Dead but <laughs> in reality like statistically you would drink contaminated water a week in or you would run out of your heart medication and yeah that's it for you like so you you know we we entertainment is has fed us a lot of this like you'd you'd like to think there would be a dramatic or like a grand really concrete event of some sort that you could point at and be like apocalypse there yeah. it is that happened like, there were a lot of movies made about the event of a... This was in the 60s, 70s, about the event of a nuclear attack. Oh, sure. In, yeah. But not a lot of, like, maybe strange love and failsafe for the ones that come to mind of, like, the events and the circumstances that actually put you in a position to experience a nuclear attack. Yeah, Which I are think, arguably the scarier things. Yeah, right? I think that most movies of that time take the Red Scare tactic, where it's like, it's not about the apocalypse stuff. It's about, like, who can you trust? And then yes. nuclear weapons also happen to be nearby. Like, yes. Yeah. Look, look what happened because you let communists into the government or like whatever, right? Yeah. Um, but in reality, just any any apocalypse, there's a really good, um, oh, I can't remember who wrote this or in what context, but there was a really good sort of personal essay a while back about someone who had sort of lived through, I think it was the Hungarian um, revolution of like, an apocalypse is is the just the tipping point of a lot of factors, and it's very slow yeah. and it's very drawn out and kind of boring in a way. It doesn't. It's not an attention grabber, or if it is, it's going to fade fast. Just the way we're designed to take in information, you know. Yeah. It's a lot of like or often very boring policy factors. It's the thing that I think of is like if a tooth, if your tooth falls out, that's a horrific event, and it's very you can point to it and be like tooth bad. There it is. Yeah. But it means you just didn't brush for like months or there was another factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like you didn't have the budget to eat food that wasn't full of sugar. Or like, you know, yeah. a lot of just like boring maintenance shit has to go into preventing an apocalypse, you know. <laughs> but so I, brush your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is you don't want a tooth to fall out. Yeah. Oh, that happened to me at the movies and I just will never forget it. It's one of my absolute terrors. It's fine. I'm fine now. <laughs> <laughs> but so this movie in particular is a really interesting like mix of the two kind of approaches to quote unquote apocalypse because mm. it's got the pulpy like John Trent is uncovering this like unstoppable new threat like Literal, defined concrete threat yeah monsters in suits yeah. coming chasing after you monsters yeah. you can point at and be like that's the problem if we kill that it's gone you know 
and the more kind of sinister, like we've kind of been seeding this into the world for years. Mm. Uh, people wanted this and we knew mm. it was like, not great, but we were making money and no one was, people weren't getting harmed in a, on a wide enough margin for us to stop. And like, you know, so it's a, it, this movie's a really interesting mix of those two, I think. Yeah. Um, just the the definition of what an apocalypse is and how it can be over before you realize that there was like an event to point at. You're like, oh, looking back, these were all of the things we should have and sometimes did point out as like, this is a problem. And, you know, to circle it back to Reaganomics of like, okay. <laughs> this is a problem, but it's fine in the short term. Yes. So we'll keep doing it. And then being like, oh, shit, wait, there's going to be a long-term version of me. Fuck. <laughs> Not to bring it up again, but you're when you see the event horizon, it's too late. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, we think about that. Like, someone built, like, designed, built, sent out this whole, this ship meant to tear open the fabric of space. <laughs> a lot of decisions went into creating the apocalypse <laughs> that aren't the apocalypse on their own. Nope. But without which, the apocalypse couldn't have happened. So you did directly contribute. You yep, know what I mean? A real Oppenheimer. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I'm determined to work Oppenheimer into all year since we've seen it. Every single episode. <laughs> go see Oppenheimer at your local theater. <laughs> see, I made you do it this time. Yeah, well, no, you you knew what you were doing. <laughs> I brought up the nuclear thing. You're the mouth and I'm the madness. That's right. The... So go mad. Your turn. <laughs> Uh, well, I love all of what you've said. It's very big galaxy brain. I'm here to bring us firmly down to earth and just talk about the nuts and bolts because love it. I just want to talk about the Lovecraft of it all. The, oh, sure. Because, I mean, you just, you just have to say it. The virulent racism of H.P. Lovecraft aside, like so racist that even at his time people were like, bro, that's racist. Dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, something to be said for like, these are my fears and I'm working through them yeah. through fiction. It's like, about oh. the blood. Oh, God. Um, so that that isn't the reason for this, but I feel like generally speaking, Lovecraftian horror never works for me. Yeah, I almost fair. never like Lovecraftian horror. I like the general ideas of it. But as I said before, it's the most uncinematic thing, I can, lazy thing I can think of. Yeah. Because I know that something it's it's about the prose and not about the yeah, sure. word to word ideas. But like this thing is so awful, we couldn't show it. Just like sounds so lazy to me. Yeah. yeah. Like you can do that artfully, and it's done here. It's done in Jaws. It's done in many things. But sure. that's. That never seems to be the focus of Lovecraft stuff. It always seems to be like tentacles. And like, there's a couple tentacles in here. What if a guy was big? Yeah. <laughs> it's it very like, different. You don't show or tell. So what the fuck do you have left? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're not. We're not going anywhere. We're yeah. just spinning our wheels. So it, it's a, a lens I often don't enjoy. That's fair. But the idea of it is very interesting. Like. To bring it back to, there's a lot of video game talk on these ones, but I mean, we're just, John Carpenter's inhabiting us. Yeah. We've got Alan Wake for the, the writer side, but yeah. like the uh, the Dark Souls makers, I can't remember their mm. name all of a sudden, from software. Sure. They have a game called Bloodborne, which is a Lovecraftian thing. Oh, okay. And that feels like it slots in nicely where it's like, when you see a monster, you're like, damn, that's a monster. <laughs> but for the most part, it's just hinting at the monstrosities. Oh, okay. A lot of your people that you're encountering are literal people coming apart. Oh, um, okay. Yuck. Literally and figuratively. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I love how it's used here. And it's, I, like I keep saying, it's just such a specific use of it. The basic idea is that it's something 
so unimaginable that reality can't even handle it. Yeah. That is... The mechanisms we use for seeing and comprehending just break on... Yeah, and, that, and that's what makes people crazy, and yeah. then that's what makes the apocalypse. That That is... You're taking the very core notion of it and being like, here's the apocalypse from that, not that a big squid man will step on you. Like, <laughs> yeah. that those are almost like weird byproducts as opposed to the... And I feel like I keep bringing up Pratchett on these too. Terry Pratchett, the writer, mm. he talks about the uh, for comedic effect the dungeon dimensions where these these unseeable, multi dimensional things that look like turkeys turned inside out and such. Yeah. It's the same thing where I'm like, oh, he doesn't describe them. He describes the effect that they have on what they touch. Yeah, well, yeah. that's the scary part, right? Yeah. Is being affected by them. Yeah. The things themselves themselves aren't scary. I think the Lovecraftian like, part is like you go insane after seeing them and turn into one of them, maybe. But it's yeah. that they're so pathetic that like they almost can't do anything on their own. Yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, Terry Pratchett also another great noticer of things. Yes, one of our best noticers. Yes, that's why I'm pairing it with Hogfather. No. Uh, <laughs> Do it, coward! <laughs> this is just to say, it's nice, all, my big brain takeaway here is like, it's nice to see a Lovecraftian thing that I enjoy and helps me understand why other people enjoy it, you know totally. what I mean? Totally, yes. Yeah. Yet another wonderful layer on the, I'm distributing this for you to enjoy. Yes. Narrative. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm the real basic, oh, there's another way to say it, I'm the basic bitch this week. Um, <laughs> yeah, this week. And, you, <laughs> uh, and Aaron is a big galaxy brain. So with your big galaxy brain, please tell me what you've paired with this one. It's a big galaxy brain swing this week, Nick. <laughs> Do you want me to go first then to be like, here's our basic No, thing? it's fine. It's eh, I, I debated whether this was disrespectful. So like, I don't know. Maybe we need this. Maybe we need you afterwards okay, to sure. wash away. I have a good reason for pairing it. So <laughs> Starting out so defensive. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I just, we'll see. Um, so I'm taking Mouth of Madness as kind of the trashy one, like the pulpy one, mm, sure. the one that's just meant to be a good time. Rock guitars. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Metallica style. <laughs> Metallica flavored uh, interjections. But we have Metallica at home. Yeah. <laughs> Metallica home is at home is a printing press montage. <laughs> yes. So these movies are both about kind of, you know, the apocalypse from the point of view of the in existing inhabitants, Okay. where the scale of it is so big that you're like, I don't, okay, there must be like a very my approach way of understanding this because it's always worked for me in the past. I need to get it down to my level and one-to-one -one it, and then I'll understand it. Mm -hmm. But slowly over the course of the movie, realizing it is so much bigger than that, that I, I... It changes my view of the world. <laughs> and it's it the protagonist kind of starts out thinking it's ridiculous that like something like this could exist and that there must be a simpler or a more graspable intent of some kind, but mm. no, it is just really like this. And at the beginning of the movie, your point of view is kind of the universally accepted one. And then by the end of the movie, the world has just accepted the change and you kind of feel crazy for remembering how it used to be. I love it when like, movies I'm... are able to do this convincingly. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. 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 One of my favorite things. Yes. Uh, the you being the, the protagonist. I'm me. Yeah. <laughs> and both look at the concept of how kind of viewpoints shape actual reality, right? Mm. How you can change the world materially, physically, by convincing enough people that your point of view is right. Yeah. So all of this in mind, I'm pairing it with Killers of the Flower Moon from 2023. Dang, yo. Yeah. Yes. So well. A thing that sticks 
What? Just the phrase virulent racism I comes mean, to mind. I mean, yeah, certainly helps. The, the thing that I always think about I, when sort of, you know, you look at indigenous art and media and, and, you know, very much like a lot of it is processing unspeakable horror mm. in a, in the only way the only through the only mechanisms that like human beings have which is art and and you know Written word song and, and yeah. yeah and oh we were at a, an exhibition i can't remember but one of one of the sort of phrases that's always stuck with me is indigenous people are living in a post-apocalyptic world they have been for many hundreds of years now yes and so everything is kind of through that lens all the time and it's crazy to look around and be like there used to be like my home used to be here Mm -hmm. and you know so there's there's that approach of like this like killers of the flower moon is the apocalypse in progress it's way too late to stop it and and i think denier's character says like there's not going to be a bolt of lightning to come down from the sky and stop this nothing nothing is stopping this now Mm -hmm. and so it's just better for you to sit back and accept that like you know money is more important than people's lives yeah right and everyone around molly eventually accepts that either starts out with or accepts that like her life doesn't mean as much as money yeah and everyone around trent has accepted that kane's writing is real and has you know both both of those things you can just change opinion enough (laughs) to actually shape reality and the protagonist has to come to terms with the fact that that means like they're disposable. Yeah. It means they, they never had any power to change this ever. Well, I mean, this is a little glib, but it feels the like the truth, like the, the hint of killers of the flower moon, like Kane is just a puppet being used by this, these uh, people behind yeah. the big wet door yeah. and Leo's being used by the Masons. There's that. Yeah. Like the, yeah. there, there is some, Someone who is just so far removed that you can't, at the time especially for Killers of the Flower Moon, you can't comprehend how that would work or what that really is or yeah. why that's the goal. But it is just like, you look at it on paper and you're like, yeah, that's a straight line from the the masterminds down to like the foot soldiers. Yeah. There are, the you could divvy it up into little steps and yes. little absorbable pieces if you wanted. And that's how it normalizes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I mean the, you know, Trent has to come face to face with like his creator, like the person who's pulling all of his strings, and his creator doesn't seem to care about him as a person yeah. one way or the other. He's just talking about himself the whole time. He, he this guy means nothing to him, and the scenes where Molly is talking to oh, De Niro's character, I forget his name, but Goggles McGee, whatever. Sure, <laughs> Robert De Niro, and you're looking at him and being like, you, you. On your to-do list today is murder this woman's sister. Mm. Check. Like, how can you be talking to... He's just talking to her as if she's not a person with feelings or anything. Like, no, he does not recognize the human core of her at all. Mm. And that's just such a, like, brain-breaking thing to experience. Like, how can you be face-to-face with a person and, and not recognize that they're you're you're the same as them you know what i mean yeah so i think it's a little glib as well but i i'm using it as an like a meditation more on killers than on (laughs) i get both sides of that feeling of feeling like it is kind of glib but it does in big galaxy brain way it is yeah the same idea like 
we talked about Carpenter's politics a little bit, but he, yeah, yeah. I think he would agree with that. Just like, yeah, it's... I think he'd be like, that's a perfectly valid framing. Yeah, just like... <laughs> Pat myself on the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah My... that's just like unspeakable horror, and it's just people making stuff up. Yeah. That's what it is. And yeah. we all just accept it, and that's how it becomes real. Yeah. Yeah, that, 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 yeah. I think you're right. I think I do need to go after you to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now we need a little palate cleanser. Yeah. Yes. Please take us damn, away. <laughs> that I will. I stamp of approval, though. I agree with Thank you. your analysis here. For me, I'm uh, keeping it super simple. <laughs> God bless. <laughs> I'm going to double bill this with literally the only other Lovecraftian horror movie I like. Okay. Um, and that. that that's where it started, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, there's some other similarities. Okay. Um, the unknowable horrors are there on the edge creeping in. You get a couple quick camera shots, because don't focus on that. Doesn't look very good. Don't look super <laughs> yeah. But both of them are through the lens of a much more human story about trying to interact with the world around yourself, and there is also some creepy possession. Okay. Uh, this is The Haunted Palace from 1963, directed by Roger Corman and starring Vincent Price. Oh, okay, right, right, right. Uh, so this is part of Roger Corman's Poe cycle, which watched all of last year and I loved him. They're yeah. great. Uh, but Poe, that's not Lovecraft. You're right, Nick. Uh, <laughs> listen to this synopsis, if you might. A warlock burned at the stake comes back and takes over the body of his great-grandson to take his revenge on the descendants of the villages that burned him. Both the warlock and the great-grandson are Vincent Price, uh, which is a lot of fun. Um, it is. But it has the same production idea around it, where Madness is a carpenter meta-horror in presentation with Lovecraft, kind of like the undercurrent that just moves everything along. Yeah. Uh, Haunted Palace was... A, it's a B-movie, like... Big, Capital B. Capital B. So it is by far the trashier of my pair here. Um, that was sold as, here's a gothic Edgar Allan Poe story. Also, Lovecraft is mostly what it's actually about, and it's kind of yeah. like pushing the story <laughs> forward. Um, oh, fuck yeah. So, like, it's all big gothic castles and medieval towns and stuff, which isn't completely non-Lovecraftian, but it's definitely mm -hmm. trying to make a Lovecraftian story into a Poe story, just as... Madness is making a Lovecraft story into a 90s yeah, self-referential yeah, a, a Stephen King thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but you peel back a bit and you're like, "Oh, there's Lovecraft. I can see him." <laughs> there's a little tentacle poking out. Uh, both with just like no part of Madness works in my mind without Sam Neill's performance and no part of Haunted Palace works without uh, Vincent Price's, like, it's so much fun watching yeah. him be, like, the, the idea of the possession in it is that he's trying not to let the townspeople know he's possessed, so he's, like, acting like the regular grandson in a scene, and then he'll, like, turn a corner and be like, and now I'm the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about an underrated Scream King. Yeah, oh god, yeah. Vincent Price. Vincent Price, big time. Yeah. But they're, they're the two Lovecrafts I like. Nice. I forgot about that. It's genuinely a, yeah, you're like, this is clearly a B-movie, but then yep. you're kind of like, yeah, I love what it's doing with this. Yeah. It, yeah. It's another one where, like, so hampered by uh, budget. budget <laughs> that, like, like oh dollar boy. store cobwebs in the castle level of... And the Lovecraftian horror that you do catch a couple of glimpses of is literally glimpses. They will not focus on it. No. It will not be in focus, yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that they can. Yeah. And, like... Affecting enough that it's been over, like, 
closed in on a year since I've yeah. seen it. And just thinking about it brings there's a single music cue because that's yeah. all they had the money <laughs> that's for. All they could but it's really good and I have it stuck in my head just talking about oh, it. Oh weird. Yeah. Love to play it for me. Um yeah, Vincent Price though, just absolutely holding it all together. Cause yes. it when you look at the bare mechanics of it, just like you look at the bare mechanics of Mouth of Madness, most of it is one guy walking around being like, This is nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very on paper. It's a real well, real thin. Really summed it up on the back of a DVD cover. Yeah, it's, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's all the tips and tips. It's all the tr- the cinematic tricks that each yeah. of these like I I'm gonna call Roger Corman a master director Ooh, that they know how to use bold. to extend to get the most bang for their buck. Yeah, yeah. it's playing with the structure, not yeah. the substance. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, nice. Yeah, so that's my my real like that's good that's a good one to remember and to watch yeah yeah i will admit i feel a little lazy being like it's another lovecraft movie (laughs) but (laughs) well i mean lovecraft is such a it can be such a one note Mm. referential thing but it can mean a lot of like wider subjects i think wider themes and i think that's what i've really honed in on what works for me for the lovecrafts but that's fair very nice and that will wrap us up for the Apocalypse Trilogy. That rings in our apocalypse. Is that the end of Carp Winter, though? Time will tell! Uh, I'm just going to do it on mic. I want to do our next episode to finish off Carp Winter on Assault on Precinct 13. Dun, just dun, talk dun. about why I love Carpenter Siege movies so much. Yeah. Um, will that happen? You'll know when that episode comes out. <laughs> just go watch Assault in Precinct 13, it rules. Will I rewrite history so that I never <laughs> said this? See, I can say it now. Oh, I was going to say, and you can't do anything about it, but no, you can just cut it out. I'm the editor. The, I'm oh, the god! You're affecting reality with your vision! <laughs> and you can find us on Instagram at GarbagePod, and please come back and join us next week for another pile of garbage. Thanks, y'all. Thank you.